Why don't we get started with a word of prayer? So it'd be my privilege to pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you that we again come to your word. And Lord, your word instructs us, it teaches us, it encourages us, it builds us up in you, and it, it teaches us about, about you and about the Holy Spirit and our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll talk much about you today. We'll talk much about your word through Paul in Galatians. And Lord, encourage us through it and instruct us. God, we just thank you for the communion of the saints we have here this morning. May we enjoy one another in the fellowship of the saints and worshiping you. In Christ's holy name, amen. So again, everybody, if you're just coming in, there's handouts in the back. So, well, it's a privilege to come again and to teach to you out of the book of Galatians. So today we're going to cover verses 24 through 26. We're going to cover the end of this chapter. And uh, it's a very important end of this chapter because Paul is going to come back to a lot of the themes he's been talking to, uh, talking to us about in this chapter and we could think of some of those themes. And Wade has been talking to us a lot about the fruits of the Spirit in the last few weeks. And Paul's going to come back and talk a lot about the Spirit. In fact, the key to this passage, the key to these verses is life in the Spirit, life in the Holy Spirit. We've been talking a lot about the Judaizers and legalism and antinomianism. The key to all of that, as Paul is going to say in verse 25 today, is it's life in the Holy Spirit. It's living in the Holy Spirit. Is The Holy Spirit takes us above all of that. The Holy Spirit keeps us from legalism. The Holy Spirit keeps us from walking in the flesh, living out the desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit unites us with our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit guides us. As we're going to read this morning, we have to keep in step with the Spirit. He wants us to keep in step with Him. And that's the key to living out our Christian life. And that's Paul's big focus in this chapter. In fact, if we want to go back and look in chapter 5, verse 5, for example, Paul says, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. And then if we were to skip down to verse 16, Paul starts that whole section that we're now completing. But I, will, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes on and describes in verses 19 through 21 all those deeds of the flesh, those things that are just part of the old man, the immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, and all that list of all those wicked, horrible things that could come out of our flesh in the old man. And then he goes, get his way, just went through great, wonderful detail in the last few weeks, the fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, this is what should come out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And that's his point again is if we walk in the Spirit, those are the things that will be coming out of our lives and there is no law against those things. The Spirit, the Spirit himself instills God's virtues. He instills Christ in our heart. We don't need that external law because it's written on our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, and I know there may be people here who are new believers and that's something that is hard to grasp. We're gonna talk about that a lot today about what, it, what exactly does that mean walking in the Spirit. We're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit and what is His work in our lives. So let's come now to our verses, verses 24 through 26. Let me read those to you. And this is out of the New American Standard Version. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So the first thing that Paul is going to talk to us about in these verses, in verse 24, is who we are in Jesus Christ. Before he talks about the Spirit, it's important to Paul that he comes back and reminds us, this is who you are in Jesus Christ. And this is what has happened to you as a result of being in Jesus Christ. So let's look at that first phrase in verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus. It's very simple in the Greek text. In fact, in the Greek it just says those who are of Christ Jesus. That is those who belong to him. It is a possessive. It means we belong to Jesus Christ. But it's one of these small prepositional phrases that Paul uses a great deal. We'll talk about in a moment. But let me just ask you, What does it mean that we belong to Jesus Christ? Why does he possess us and how does he possess us? And what gives him the right to possess us? The Holy Spirit, yeah. What has Christ done for us? He bought us with his precious blood. blood. And I gave you that reference, 1 Corinthians 6.20. What does Paul say? Let's go back and look at that verse, 1 Corinthians 6.20. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And so, As Susan said, the price he bought us with was his blood. We're going to talk about this more in a moment. But we have been redeemed by his blood. He owns us if we belong to him. And at the price of his life, the price of his blood, the price of the cross. So he owns us if you believe in him and you belong to him. So there's something really rich, too, about this preposition that we belong to Jesus Christ. I was reading a book by Sinclair Ferguson recently. It's one of the best books I've ever read on sanctification. It's called Devoted to God. If some of you who read or listen to Dr. Ferguson know he's such a rich man to read, and I recommend that book. But he has a whole chapter in that book called Prepositions of Grace. And so I latched on to that, and I was thinking about that as I was meditating through this chapter, these prepositions of grace. And Sinclair makes the point 
that frequently in Paul's letters, he interchanges these prepositions. And think of what these are. We're going to look at some of these verses here in just a second. But Paul frequently says we are of him, as he says in this verse, or we are in him, that is in Christ. We are with Christ. Things have been done to us with Christ, by him, or through him. And in fact, Paul, again, uses these very interchangeably. Galatians 3, 26 through 29, we won't read that, but if you look at that verse, Paul, in the, actually in the Greek text, he interchanges those prepositions. So they are, in essence, interchangeable. So I want to dwell down just a moment to think about this because it's important that we understand what it means for us that we're in Christ Jesus because that sets up the whole foundation again for having the flesh crucified with him and walking in the Holy Spirit. So let's look at a few of these verses, these prepositions of grace that help us understand what it means that we are of Christ, we're in him, we belong to Christ Jesus. And this list is huge. I didn't even write out but just a small section. But what I would encourage you to do sometime is take one of Paul's letters, like we're going to look at several verses in Ephesians, or look at Philippians, or Colossians, 1 Corinthians, and just think, I want to look at these prepositions of grace, who I am in Jesus Christ. So let's look at Ephesians 1, and I'll read the verse. We'll start with verses three and four, actually. And let's think about what are these prepositions of grace, that we are of Christ, we are in him, we are given things by him or with him. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So what are some of these prepositions or what do we, what do we learn in these two verses? Let's start back with verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what is Paul saying? What has he given us in Christ in verse three? Susan said it, every spiritual blessing. Can you, I mean, that's just Paul's overarching beginning of this chapter. Everything you can imagine, every spiritual blessing he's given us. He's given us in Christ. So there it is. There's that word in Christ. It could be of Christ or through Christ. But there's Paul's preposition of grace. In Christ Jesus, he's given you everything. Verse five, in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So he's given us all these spiritual blessings and what specifically is he telling us he's done through Jesus Christ? What did he do before the foundation of the world? He adopted us and he predestined us. That's right. That's right. Before the world was... God planned all of this and purposed this. You, all of you who believe in Jesus Christ, God planned and purposed this. He predestined all of this through Jesus Christ. So he planned that he would save you. He, the Trinity planned the purpose, right? He planned the means that Christ would come and die for us on the cross. 
in Christ. He's given you that. He's given you that before the foundation of the world. You're not a second thought. You're not an afterthought in God's mind. If you know Christ, he's loved you from before the foundation of the world and planned to give this to you before the foundation of the world. Let's look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And for beloved, read Christ. In Christ, he's given us what? His glorious grace. Chris has got it. Yeah, I heard, it. I heard someone else say it too. Grace, his glorious grace. That is his unmerited favor he's given to us. Not because of anything he looked down through the portals of time and said, you know what, Ambrose is a great guy, I'm gonna save him, right? And that's not the case, is it, right? No, or Jim, or whoever, right? God looked down and, and out of the glories of his grace, I'm gonna save them, I'm gonna predestine them to adoption as sons through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. Verse seven, and this is the rich one too, verse seven, in him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we've been talking about this, but specifically in Jesus Christ, what do you have? What has happened? What's that big word? Yeah, forgiveness and that big, the R word that Paul uses there. Redemption, that's right. What is redemption? It is forgiveness, that's right. But it's also being bought. This is back to that concept of being bought with a price because redemption comes in, in those times and the words that Paul would have used, people would have understood exactly what he's talking about. Redemption refers back to the slave market, right? And redemption, the word he uses, relates to a price that was paid, right? So Jesus Christ paid a price. So it wasn't something free. He paid a price. And what was the price that Jesus Christ paid for us? His life. That's right. He gave his life. And when he gave his life, what did he do on the cross? What else happened? He didn't just die. Thousands of people died on Roman crosses. They didn't do what Jesus did. What else did? What was? He was, that's exactly right. He was bearing the wrath of God, paying our sin debt on the cross. That's exactly what Jesus Christ was doing. That was the price he paid to redeem us. There was a price that had to be paid. God's justice had to be satisfied, and only Jesus, the perfect man, could do that. Only he could satisfy that debt and redeem us, redeem us from who we are, the old man. Well, I won't keep going just for the sake of time, but I'll just read quickly a few of these things. And I want to do this yourself, what we've just done to understand who we are in Jesus Christ. Verse 9, in Christ he made the knowledge of the mystery of his will according to his kind intention known to us. Verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance. So Jesus has done all of this and he's made us brothers. He's made us sons. We have an eternal inheritance with him. This life is not what it's all about, right? What it's all about is the eternal inheritance that we have with Jesus Christ. Verse 12, we are to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, because of the work of Christ in him, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Then you could just go on. You could keep going into Ephesians chapter 2. He's, we were, verse 4 through 8, we were made alive together with Christ. We were raised up with him. We're seated with him in the heavenly places. And we're shown the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness. And we're saved 
by grace again. Colossians 1.27, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Because we're in Christ, the hope of glory resides in us. Colossians 2, we're complete in him. We're circumcised in him, removing the body of the flesh. Colossians 3.3, we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And Romans 6.11, we're dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8, there is no condemnation because we're in Christ. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. And again, we could just go on and on through Paul's letters, but can you just step back a minute? I, I, I'm a fly fisherman. I love to try to catch big fish, right? <laughs> and I have a great friend who taught me how to fly fish, and we spent a lot of time on many streams. And he said one time, he says, you know, when you catch a big trout, you just got to get out of the water and sit down on the bank sometime and think about what just happened. So that's my rule of thumb, right? We don't just keep going. We got to sit back and think about what just happened. Wasn't that great, the whole experience? We got to step back and think about all of these verses. We got to step back and think about what we've just said. All of this, who we are in Jesus Christ. This should drive everything in us and grateful love and service and obedience and fellowship and trust and faith and all of that in him. It should drive our behavior in the church. And that's Paul's big point here too, is that should drive how we treat one another in Christ, how we encourage one another, how we speak to one another, and how we witness to the world. All of this should drive us because we have all of this in Jesus Christ. So this sets us up to help us understand the next phrase that Paul says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if you step back and realize who we are in Christ Jesus, then it makes sense that we have crucified the flesh. In fact, we are, if we're in Christ, it necessarily means that the flesh has been put to death. So it's interesting, we'll talk about this in a moment, the tense that Paul uses. He uses an aorist tense that this has happened, that the flesh has been crucified with its passions and desires. That's because if we have all these things in Christ, we can't live in the flesh, we can't live in this. So let's talk about this. What does this word crucified mean? So you're an average Jew or a Roman walking the streets of Jerusalem in AD 50, and somebody says, I've been crucified with Christ. When they said the word crucified, what immediately would have gone through your mind? Criminal cruelty, that's right, that's right. And what happened on the cross? I mean, not just to Christ, Did people walk off the cross? Were there resuscitations (laughs) on the cross, right? They were put to death. It was execution. And as Tim was saying, it was execution in the most vile, disgusting, humiliating way. The Romans would say, we are Rome, and this is what we'll do to you. If you're a criminal, if you stand against us, and they would line the roads with crosses of dead, decaying, dying, bodies being picked apart by vultures. That's what they did, right? It was death, right? Death is the bottom line is no one left the cross. When you went to the cross, you died, and you died in a horrible way. So there's no question, I think, what Paul is saying is death. Those who are in Christ Jesus, the flesh has died with its passions 
and desires. So the question we're going to talk about is a little bit of theology. How does this happen? Because do we still sin? Does, does anybody wrestle with sin as a believer, right? Isn't this a hard verse to sometimes try to begin to comprehend, right? Because Paul says it was crucified, the flesh, all those passions and desires were crucified. So, so how does this work itself out in my life? How do I live this out? And then we're going to answer this question too. What does the flesh represent? I mean, Paul's already talked about this a little bit, a lot actually in Galatians 5. And uh, flesh can mean just my normal human flesh, just kind of flesh. Um, but it can also have this other meaning. And what, what do we talk about this other meaning relating to sin and the things that Sin nature, that's right. That's how we associate it with. And as Paul would say in Romans 6, it's the body of sin. That is, Paul uses this word intentionally because sin still works itself out in the fact that we live in a body. We live in a body that was corrupted and tainted, uh, not just tainted, but destroyed by sin, right? When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, everything changed, right? The perfect body, the perfect human body was totally corrupted. We talk about total depravity. Well, that doesn't mean that everybody is as bad as they could be, but it means that every part of them has been touched by sin. That's what total depravity means. So there's nothing in us that has not been touched by sin. Our mind, our heart, our will, our emotions, our thoughts, our actions, all of that has been touched by and affected by and corrupted by sin that came through Adam. Paul teaches this in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 through 8 are the grand theology of the Apostle Paul, but Paul teaches us a lot about this. So let's look at, let's turn over and look at a moment, Romans 6. A couple of verses in Romans 6. They'll help us understand, I think, what Paul says, what he means by that we've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I'll start reading in verse 1. I'll just read the first 11 verses, and we'll just look at verses 6 and 11. So Paul set this up because he's talked about how through Adam, sin came into this world. But through Jesus Christ came righteousness. Where sin abounded, grace through Jesus Christ superabounded. That as all died in Adam, all men died in Adam because of our sins. Through Christ, all who believe in him will live. Because as Adam represented us in the garden and all sin came to us, Christ represented us on the cross. He paid the price. He redeemed us. And now we have forgiveness and redemption through him. So Paul's going to start dealing, though, with this very question, this very practical question. Well, if all of this is true, Paul, then what about this thing, sin, that we still live in? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Listen to this verse. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Sounds a lot like what he just said in Galatians 5, right? The flesh was crucified with him. 
that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So here's Paul's command. You know, this is interesting. This is the first imperative, the first command in the first six chapters of Romans. He's been laying out all of this theology, helping us to understand who Christ is. Even so, consider yourselves. And some people translate it reckon. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that's kind of the key. Consider, reckon, understand what Christ has done for us and live it. So let's go back to verse six. The old self was crucified with him. We can understand that as the old man, who we were in Adam. That old man died with Christ on the cross. That is gone. And when you become a Christian, when the Holy Spirit regenerates you, that is actualized. The old man is gone. You know, I wouldn't say till I was 19. I understand well what it meant to live in the passions and the desires of the flesh. There was not the ability for me to not sin. There was not the desire for me to not sin. There was no driving motivation. That's the old man. That's the old sin nature in us that drives us, that controls us, that governs everything we do. That died with Christ on the cross. That went away. But what Paul deals with now is, again, that question. So if that's died, then how, why do I still sin? How do I deal with this? That's why he says in the second half of verse 6, that the old self is crucified, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's the key again. The body of sin we still deal with. We still walk in the flesh, not the flesh in the sense of the old man that we were in bondage to because Paul says that in this chapter. We're no longer in bondage to that old man. In fact, you know now you can say no to sin, right? You can say no, right? When those words start to form in your mouth and those thoughts and hearts and attitudes, the Holy Spirit works in your mind and you step back and say, I can't do that. I belong to Christ, right? I am in him. I am his. I can no longer do that because that old man has died. If the old man were still active and living, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't, be able, you wouldn't want to say that. You would want those words to come out like daggers, right? That's what characterized. And more, Paul talks about even the worst things, the immorality and the, all the sensuality and all those things that were part of life before Christ. Those desires have been killed. They're not dead because we still live in the flesh and we have, to, we have to operationalize that day by day. But now we have the power through the Holy Spirit to say no and to walk in Christ. Does that, does that make sense? Does that, do you have questions or thoughts about that? Because that's a hard concept to understand, I think. My wife warned me she always reads my outline to make sure I'm not saying anything heretical. Thank the Lord for my wife, too. But she said, Craig, they're going to ask you this question. So if the old man is dead, if the flesh has been crucified with all these passions and desires, why do I still sin? 
Personally, I think one of the best treatments of this is if any guys know Martin Lloyd-Jones, his, he had re- preached many, many, many years on Romans. He has a volume on Romans 6 where he deals with all this. It's very helpful where Dr. Lloyd-Jones talks about the flesh, the body of sin, and how we still walk, how we have to fight the body of sin because we still have a body. Sin worked itself out in our body. It worked itself out in our minds, our thoughts, our, our actions, literally our flesh. It, it worked itself out. And we still, God in his grace and his plan and purpose, didn't take us home immediately. Wouldn't it have been nice if when we were saved, he had just transported us to heaven, right? But he didn't. He le- and he left us in these bodies that we might depend on him that we might know his grace day by day in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul is just about to say in verse 25, if all of this is true, if we've been crucified in the flesh, we walk in the power of the Spirit. I'll give you a couple. I put a couple of other verses in here that would help you if you want to wrestle through this question a little bit because frequently Paul will say, let's look at Colossians 3, 3 through 5. It's this concept of the old man has died, but yet we still have to put on the new man. We have to walk in the flesh. We still have to actively walk in obedience as long as we're in this flesh. Colossians 3, 3 through 5. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The old man died. That's what he's talking about, on the cross, like Paul's been talking about. You've died. That has all died on the cross, and now you're hidden with Christ in God. You're seated with him. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So here's the key. Therefore, consider. It's just like he said in Romans 6.11, reckon. Therefore, consider. Understand this. Understand what Jesus did for you. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, for it's account of these things that the wrath of God will come. So again, it's that concept. It has happened. He has died. Now we have to work it out. We have died. He died for us. The old man died. Now we have to daily put it to death. And we have the power to do so by the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 4, also the other passage that I often think about in this context. Ephesians 4, verse 20. Paul says... But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So again, it's that concept that there is this thing that has happened in the past. The old man is crucified, but now we have to put on the new man. We have to put on it and live it and walk it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that again, that's the next verse. The key to doing this is life in the Spirit. So let's look at verse 25 again. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. It's really neat how Paul wrote this in the text. It actually is, if we live by the Spirit, by the Spirit, let us also walk. And we're going to talk about that word walk in a moment because it's a wonderful word that Paul uses that we can talk about. So it's a conditional statement. 
if we live by the Spirit, and the way Paul wrote it was, and in fact we do, we do live by the Spirit, it's in fact the reality, then we need to live in and by the Spirit's power. So let's talk about this just a moment too. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about who he is and his power because it's helpful for us to understand that. If Paul's going to say we're living by him, we need to walk by him, who is the Holy Spirit? So I just throw that out there. Who is the Holy Spirit? First off, what's his tie? He is, as the Son is, he is part of the Trinity, God. That's right. Tim said he's God, right? He is, we would say, the third person of the Trinity, but he is part of the essence of deity. He is every bit as, as much God as the Father or the Son, right? Because he's an essential part of the Trinity. In fact, Theologians often say that what the Father purposed, the Son accomplished, and the Spirit did what? Call him my son-in-law, Nathan. What did the Spirit do? Yeah, he sealed and he accomplished, and he applied it. Basically, he applied it. So we're having lunch together this afternoon, so he can let me have it. So <laughs> anyway, I could call on him because he's my son-in-law. But yes, what the Father purposed, the Son accomplished, and the Spirit applies it. That's critical. The Spirit applies all of this to our life, our life as believers. So let's, let's talk about a few verses, and I won't make you look these up, but our Lord Jesus himself said in John 6, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit is the one, when you were saved, it was the Holy Spirit of God who came on you. It was the Holy Spirit of God who regenerated your heart and mind and gave you new life. We are new creations in Christ because the Holy Spirit recreated you by the power, by his power, by the power of God. Jesus said, he described the Holy Spirit as rivers of living water. Rivers of living water will flow out of you because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that's because the Holy Spirit is in constant communion and fellowship with the Trinity, right? Jesus Christ is in you because the Holy Spirit is in you. And the Holy Spirit is in constant communion with the Son and with the Father. Just, just think about that for a moment. Step back and think about that. He, he dwells in you. He who is in constant communion with the Son. And he brings the Son of God to you by his power into fellowship with him and with the Father. So... When you pray, when you read the scriptures, you have fellowship with the Trinity because of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. And he's not going to leave you as an orphan. He is going to stand with you day by day to help you through all of your struggles, to help you grow to be like Christ. He is, Romans 8, he is the gift of God given through the regenerate, uh, faith is the gift of God given through the regenerating power of the Spirit. I just said that a moment ago. The Spirit sustains us, he draws us to Christ, and he sanctifies us, Romans 8, 13. The Spirit gives us assurance, Romans 8, 16. Romans 8, the first like 24 verses are so filled with the Spirit of God. Paul has much to say about the Holy Spirit and what he does with us and for us. He gives us the fruits of sanctification. We've just been studying that, right? All those fruits that we've been talking about in Galatians 5.22, they all come from the... None of those would happen in your life unless the Holy Spirit was there making them happen, drawing you to him and drawing you to Christ. 
I love this one, Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Spirit helps our weaknesses and groans for us and intercedes for us. You wanna know that? You're just, God is groaning for you. The Holy Spirit is groaning for you. He knows your deep needs. He knows your heart and mind. He knows. He searches your hearts and minds and knows. And he groans to the Father for you. I think that is wonderful that there is somebody who's groaning to the Lord for me. He's groaning because he, he empathizes. He walks with us. He loves us and he knows us. And he's there to bring you in communion. He's there to bring all your needs to the Father. He is the helper. Jesus wrote so much or told us so much about the Spirit in the upper room discourse, John 14 through 17. John 14 and 16, he told us so much. In fact, we've said this before. Jesus said, it's better I go away so that he will come. He will come. All of this power, all of these things he does come through him. He is the helper. He guides us into all truth. He discloses to us the things of Christ. He has promised to abide with us and to be in us. And back to Ephesians 1, we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. He is the pledge. That is, he is the down payment of our inheritance. You realize that God has given you a down payment who lives in you. The joys, the comfort, the encouragement, all of this, that's just a small down payment the Holy Spirit's giving you for what you'll experience when you're with him in heaven throughout all eternity. So this is what we have by being in the Spirit. Again, we talked about all the things we have by being in Christ. Now Christ and the Father have delivered to us the Holy Spirit. And look at all these things. Isn't the love of God amazing? Isn't it amazing what he has done for us? The Trinity, what he does for us. We talked in Ephesians 1. God predestined us. The Son died for us. And now the Spirit applies all of this to our lives. And we walk in him. So, the last half of this verse... Is just the logical outcome. So if Christ has done all of this for us, if we've crucified the flesh, and if you're walking in the Spirit, and we are, if we're His, the Spirit is in us and we're living by Him, then the New Record Standard, and I think I just got out of line here, let us also walk by the Spirit. So it's kind of interesting the word choice that Paul has here. He has a word that he commonly uses for walk and it's not the same word. He uses a different word in this, in this verse. It's the same word he used in Romans, Romans 4.12. I'll read it to you. Walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while circumcised. So it's the word he used here for walk means, it's, it can be used in a military sense. It means to get in line with or to keep in step with, or to follow someone's commands. So I know some of you guys are military guys, so I know, like Wes, you're a military guy. Like when the drill sergeant said to get in line, what did you guys do? You got in line, right? And you were what? Listening, right? You weren't talking, you were listening to him, right? You were following his commands. And that's what Paul is teaching us in this second half is if we're in the Spirit and living by Him, let us by the Spirit also walk. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's the way some people translate this because that's exactly what it means. How many of you marched in a band too? Or, okay, in the marching band. Some of you guys. I 
kind of did that a little bit in my days. But, um, you know, you had to listen to everybody, the, the, the drum majors and everybody, because you had to walk. Or how many of you have seen military precise bands, right? Oh, they're, they're amazing. They're wonderful. But they're all marching to, they're listening to the notes, they're listening to commands, they're listening to all of that. They're following or else it'll be chaos, right? And that's the same way. If we don't follow the Spirit and walk with Him, keep in step with Him, we'll live out the flesh. We'll live out all of this kind of chaos. And that's, that's really what Paul is saying. So let's just ask, our, let's ask this question. So how do we keep in step with the Spirit? How do we line up with the Spirit? How do we follow His commands? What are the basic things that we must be doing as believers to do these things? key. I heard that. Thank you, Mary Allen. Stay in the Word, right? Because that's where he teaches. What did our Lord say in John 17? Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is the truth. That's right. That speaks, speaks, speaks to us. And uh, it's through the Word, right? So that's the primary way that we hear the Spirit because He is going to work through the Word that God has given us, that Word. So that's key. What other things do we do? What other... When we're convicted of sin, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, mm-hmm. we're to repent and renew our minds. So put off, put on. Renew yeah. our minds through the Word. So what Susan said was we renew our minds through the Word. When we're convicted of sin, we put off sin, we put on. But, so that's, again, that's the key element of the word. And how else do we have communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with the Son and with the Father? Prayer. Prayer. That's a key. So, you know, it's the, the spiritual disciplines are just pretty key. And if you're a new believer, this is something I pray and hope you take to heart because this is how you'll grow. This is how you'll grow in Christ-likeness. This is how you'll grow to serve and to know him is through the word and through prayer. And hide the word of God in your heart. Memorize scripture. It's so good that through our small groups that Drew has us memorizing some scriptures. Uh, memorize more. Hide God's word. The Lord God, the spirit will use it. I can't, when I became a new believer, I needed to flush out the old man. So I just tried to memorize big passages of scripture to flush it out. And you know what? It's always there now. The Lord just brings it to mind again and again. The Spirit uses it. He uses it in temptation. He uses it in trials and struggles. It's there, His Word. So we have to know His commands. We have to be in His Word. And we have to pray to follow Him. These are the ways we follow Him. And then practically, we pray, we spend time in the Word. And then how does that work itself out in our lives in the church? Great. You get a second helping of dessert this afternoon. So. <laughs> so, one more time, Nathan. Chapter 6 says that we sow to the Spirit and reap from the Spirit by supporting our teachers and by doing good to all people, especially to those in the household of faith. God, God, that's great. That's great. That's great. That's the way. God's church, we, we support our teachers. We encourage one another through the household of faith. That's just great, Nathan. Thank you. Very good. Um, who else? 
Paul's going to touch on it in the last verse, the things we shouldn't be doing. Well, let's look at those, that last verse as we finish this section this morning. Because Paul's going to give us an example of the things we shouldn't be doing. And it'll help us to maybe understand the things that we should be doing if we're keeping in step with the Spirit. So, verse 26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. So I think it's, the point has been made. It's very interesting. Paul, in humility, includes himself in this. Let us, right? This is Paul's kind and gentle way he approaches the Galatians. He includes himself in this admonition. Let us not become boastful. And the, the word he uses there is a very interesting word. It really means vainglorious, right? Glory that's just empty. It's just vain. That's the kind of boasting Paul is talking about is this boasting that is just like an empty vessel, right? It has no value to it whatsoever. It's not from the Ming dynasty. It was made in China, but not in the Ming dynasty, right? <laughs> it's just an empty, worthless vessel that has nothing in it in reality is. And that's just in contrast, for example, think about our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the Lord Jesus had true glory, right? He laid that aside, took on flesh, became God and man, and humbled himself. What Paul is talking about is the reverse of that, is people who try to take on glory, but it's just empty and worthless. And what is the outcome of that? That we provoke one another and that we envy one another. So how do we, and this word provoke is really a, a rich word. It means to like invite combat or challenge. You could just see somebody like rend in each other's face, you know, basically. And I, I think Paul was dealing with a specific problem here in the church of Galatia um, that he had heard about, and it probably related to the factions in the church that we've been talking about, factions that were fostered by these Judaizers and the different parties that were developing. We're following the Judaizers. No, we're not, and we're going to live like we want to live, and all these parties and people were envying one another. But let me just ask you this, is how do we do this? How do we fall into these traps now that we, we provoke one another? Tim. Yeah, we try to stay with the gospel. But how do we, how do we, how do we provoke one another now? How, how is it, even at North Lake Bible Church, how could we fall into this trap? Mm -hmm. We can misinterpret the scriptures, yeah. And, and maybe we get locked into our interpretation of scriptures and we start having arguments with one another, right? Judging. Wes? Judging. Judging? Judging one another, sure. Judging one another for maybe I do certain things or you do certain things or we do things differently and we judge one another. You're not a spiritual person and we, we provoke and challenge one another without grace without understanding the other person, maybe understanding their conscience or why they do things the way they do. That's very good. Who else? Great, thanks. Great, Brooke. So not, not assuming the best about other people and making assumptions. Did I summarize that correctly? Good, okay. 
That wasn't an apocryphal version, right? But not assuming the best, but assuming maybe the worst about other people, right? Is their motives, not trying to listen to them and understand their motives and why they do things. That's great. Who else? Yeah, making second or third level issues into primary issues. Like, like whatever, doctrinal issues that are maybe second or third level that we, we uh, even among reformed people or whatever, we have discussions about certain things or, yeah. And, and making those are critical issues that we cause divisions, cause factions and dissension in the church. Well, this is all very good. And for the sake of time, I'll, I'll end this. But what can happen in this if these things happen, is envy. Maybe people who are weak, maybe people who see other believers who they think are strong or they think have the right theology or they think are doing the right thing in their Christian lives and they think, oh, I wish I could be like them, you know? And it sets up this pattern of envy in the church um, when the weak are felt, feel badly and the strong trumpet themselves in this vainglorious way. I love Paul's words. Well, we spent a lot of time on a few words today, but you know, this is the way we study scripture, and this is the way we have to dig into the scripture, because when we dig into the scripture in this way, don't we learn so much about who we are in Christ, what he's done for us, and how we should walk, and and uh, so do your, do your homework and do a prepositions of grace. Just go through one of Paul's letters and think about that. Let's close. With, I just have a few applications I want to talk about. If we know who we are in Christ and our position in him, it should drive us in grateful love and obedience to live as those who are united with him and enjoy our fellowship with him, understanding who we are. Shouldn't it just power us with joy every day to think about the blessings we have in him? And to know the old man has been crucified with Christ, that we're not in bondage to serve him. We may sin, and we will. We will sin, but we're not in bondage. We can say no. We can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a necessity any longer. We have the ability through the Spirit to walk in holiness with Christ. We have that ability to say no, and we have that ability to become like Christ and walk with one another, to treat one another as Christ would have us. If we're in Christ, we will be living by the power of the Spirit, and we will be seeking to follow his direction for our lives. And again, that means we devote ourselves to his word. If we want to walk with him, we've got to know what he says, right? We've got to know his commands, like Wes was saying, and we've got to pray. In the Spirit, we have the power to walk as followers of Christ in the church with our fellow brothers and sisters. The way we treat one another should always be a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Attitudes of the flesh should never be part of our life in the church. So, walk with the Spirit. Let His power come out in the words you say. Now, we're about to take a break, and when, you, when you're having fellowship with your brothers and sisters, let those words of the Spirit come out. Let grace, let encouragement Build people up. Let's, let's go to God and thank him for his word. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the book of Galatians. We thank you for all you purposed before eternity, Lord, in this church, in Apostle Paul's working in this church, all that we've learned, Lord, through Paul's letters. And Lord, may these words sink in our heart May we not forget these words that we are crucified with Christ, that we walk in the Spirit, 
Help us to let that work itself out in all we do. May your name be glorified. May it be glorified the next hour as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.